The text for this morning service is from Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. I don't know if there's still Bibles on the back table, but if you have one, there should be a bookmark exactly where the text is, so you can find it easily. Revelation 3, verse 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at the time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, thank you, Trudy, and good morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for the way you have blessed us. Lord, through sharing in your supper, in heartfelt prayer and in sincere praise, thank you for the work of spirit, your spirit upon us today. Uh, good and gracious Lord. Uh, Father, uh, I go weak and needy to this task. Uh, please give me a heart that's uplifted for grace and power to do your will. And Father, today, in your great mercy, would you please deepen our knowledge of your glorious Son. Father, may you deepen in each one of us our faith in Christ. And Lord, through your Spirit, produce in us an ever-deepening of a fruitfulness of faith that we will be for your glory. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, as a general rule, if you neglect something, or indeed forget something, that something will suffer. Let me give you some examples. I have discovered that if in the winter months of Tasmania you neglect to spray your roses, they end up very diseased with black spot. And if in the summer you forget to prune them, they become overgrown. I've also learned that if you neglect to take your dog for a walk in the morning, she can get very moody. I've also learned that if you forget to tighten up the wheel nuts on your friend's car, the wheel will come off. <laughs> Have you ever considered what would happen if you forget Christ? Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not talking about rejecting Jesus. The person or the church who forgets Christ has, over time, moved the Lord Jesus 
from the centre of their lives to the periphery. Their relationships, their decisions, their troubles, their trials, their affections, their time, their work and their thoughts never seem to intersect with Christ. They've stopped calling upon the Lord and give little thought to Christ. Uh, While they have not given up their belief in the Lord Jesus, they no longer look to him for their daily needs and eternal salvation. Rather than resting in Christ to fill them with the Holy Spirit each day, they seek to achieve in their own strength. They don't deny Christ, not at all. They just seem to keep him at a distance, in the background. You know, according to Revelation 3, if we forget Christ, that is, if we push the Lord Jesus to the periphery of our lives, then we'll end up like the church of Sardis, spiritually dead. See, on the outside, the church of Sardis looked healthy. They had a reputation of actually being alive, which means I think they could say the right things and they were no doubt doing religious things. But because they have neglected Christ, because they've pushed him to the periphery of their lives, Jesus describes them as the walking dead. In verse 1, he tells the church that he's the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars in his hand. That's how he opens up his message. Let me read it to you. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Uh, The seven spirits are mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, And in that chapter, the seven spirits are there before the throne of God. And they represent the Holy Spirit. Again, it's this rich imagery we find in the book of Revelation. The number seven is the number for completeness. It's the number for wholeness. So the seven spirits are the complete or whole spirit of God whom we know as the Holy Spirit. And there he is before the throne of God. The seven stars, according to chapter 1, are the angel of the churches. And as with the Holy Spirit, Christ is telling the church at Sardis, I hold them in my hand. The reason why the Lord Jesus applies this part of his vision in Revelation chapter 1 to the Christians at Sardis becomes clear in verse 2. Let me read verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Jesus tells the church that he knows their deeds or works. Again, while on the outside they look good, but when Christ judged them, it says there he found them incomplete. How are they incomplete? They are incomplete in the sense they are not fulfilling God's intended purposes. 
So whatever fruit is being born by the or produced by these Christians, it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's because their works are not spirit-empowered. That's why they're ineffective. That is, they're having, the work they're doing is having no effect on the lives of people. It's an incredibly serious complaint because it reveals to us that the power of Christ was not present in this church. And you have to ask, why? How could a church not experience the power of Christ? Look with me at verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. He, Jesus, exposes the heart of a problem. Incredibly, stunningly, the church has forgotten what they had received and heard. What is it that every Christian hears upon at their time of conversion? It's nothing short of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They've forgotten Christ and the gospel. What is it that every Christian receives upon their conversion? The Holy Spirit. And, and the church at Sardis has forgotten what they've received in, 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 in the Spirit, and they've forgotten what they've heard, that is the gospel. Both are interlinked. They had forgotten that in Christ Jesus alone is everything they need for their daily lives and salvation. Let me just briefly take you to John chapter 15. It's a marvellous chapter where Jesus is described as the vine and we are his branches. The imagery is so compelling. Right? Everything that the vine is for the branch, Christ is for us. You take the branch away from the vine, that branch dies. You see? And in those verses, within the context of that beautiful imagery, Christ says to, to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from Christ, we cannot produce the good, the abundant and the eternal fruit that God requires. It's Jesus who holds the Holy Spirit the angels who help the church are in his hand. It's through Christ and the Holy Spirit that the good fruit of righteousness and holiness and godliness is produced in our lives both individually and corporately as a church. In other words, Christ is reminding the church he makes effective a work of their hands. See, our prayers... Our ministry, our evangelism, our service, all our efforts in serving God find their effect and power in and through Christ who holds the Holy Spirit. Why are the Sardinians' works, service and fruit ineffective and empty of spiritual power? They've pushed Christ to the periphery. They have forgotten that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man, their great high priest, whose saving power is experienced through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They have forgotten that Jesus holds the Spirit and it's through Christ and the Holy Spirit that he makes everything we do not only effective, eternally effective. 
Incredibly, they've not only lost sight of the gospel, they're actually letting go of it. The heart issue that this church needs to address is their neglect of Christ and the gospel, the one who holds the spirit. Through the pushing out of Christ, out of the centre of their lives, they have pushed away the one through whom the power of his blood, as Steve reminded us today, the power of his blood enables us to serve the living God effectively. Can you see why Jesus reminds the church that he holds the spirit, that he holds the angels? Can, can you see why he reminds them they need to remember what they received and heard? Now, out of the messages um, to all the churches, this is the most severe. I think it's a message we ought not to dismiss as something that cannot happen to us. And the reason being is we all face the persistent and the dogged attempts of the evil one to push the Lord Jesus to the periphery of our lives. He is hard at work. See, Satan knows he has little chance of making you reject Christ outright. So he ever so subtly entices you to neglect him. I'm not sure how he achieved this at the church of Sardis, but let me share with you how I think he tempts us here. In a world where you and I have access to preachers from around the world 24 hours a day, authors, podcasts, programs and the like we can be tempted to look to them more than we look to Christ. Do you realise you stand at a place where no one else has ever stand in the history of the world? In your pocket, you have access to the most incredible amount of Christian content and preaching and ministry that no one else has ever had. And what can happen is we can be tempted to think that our growth in holiness, the strengthening of our relationships, the effectiveness of our ministry depends more upon whom we listen to than whom we pray to. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we do not need to come under godly or gifted preachers, teachers and the like. I do myself constantly. But what I am saying we need to remember Christ more than we remember them. For those of us whom the Lord has graciously appointed in all our weaknesses and brokenness to serve a church, we can be tempted to think that the effectiveness of our work depends more upon our preparation, our gifts, our work, than Christ. Again, I'm not saying that those who serve are not to prepare well. Indeed, not at all. But what I am saying is that we are to depend upon Christ to make effective what we do, not ourselves. We must remember he holds the Holy Spirit. See, in whatever we're doing, if you're serving in, in the church in any capacity like myself, we ought to be constantly calling upon the Lord Jesus to make effective the work of our hands. Just by way of an example, I, I, um, 
I constantly pray for you as I come to bring you the word. Why do I do that? Because I know the effectiveness of my gifts is not to do with my speech, my thoughts, my words, or anything to do with me. I can't control my dog. I pray because it is a work of Christ. I want to share with you this morning how the Lord has graciously humbled me in this area. Do you know, I've spent 27 years, I've spent 27 years in pastoral ministry. One of the things I prided myself on was being prepared. Right, so if I went to preach to do Bible studies or go to meetings or one-on-one or kids' talks. I was fearful that if I wasn't prepared enough, then my work would be ineffective. And that fear drove me to look at times more to my preparation than Christ. At times, prayer was an afterthought, not a forethought. Then our good and gracious God, in his wonderful mercy, opens the door to me, for me to work in chaplaincy. Right? The thing about chaplaincy is you've got no time to prepare for a visit. You do not know what you're going to get at the bedside. What do you say to a patient who says to you, Why won't God heal my cancer? How do you minister to a patient who opens up about the dreadful abuse and brokenness they've experienced in their life? Suddenly, I found myself in a position where I had to minister to the most precious and broken and suffering people without any preparation. And that has driven me so close to the Lord Jesus, it has led me to rest in him ever more deeply than I ever have. Let me show you how. A day does not go by where I do not bring my patients to the Lord in prayer, calling upon him to meet their needs. I daily confess before the Lord Jesus my utter, utter emptiness. And I come to rest in his fullness. I pray, Lord, when I go to the bedside today, fill me with the Holy Spirit. For apart from you, I can do nothing. Give me that grace to exercise loving pastoral care. May the Holy Spirit fill me that I may give godly counsel. Lord, lead me to give effective spiritual help because I can't do this. None of my volunteers will ever leave my office before they visit without humbling ourselves before the Lord. God in his mercy has humbled me. He showed me how I was pushing Christ to the periphery of my ministry. And I want to bear testimony this morning. I have never felt less prepared in my life than I do now in ministry. I've never seen a greater work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of others. 
I do not have time to tell you what happens in my week. But maybe I should give you an example. I had a situation where I had to meet with someone and I had no idea what else to start, I could do. And all I did was pray and pray for that particular person. When I got to the meeting, that person took my hand, spoke from the heart everything I prayed for. I didn't, this is a unique situation, but I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything. But God did everything. Um, that is now my experience. My sisters and brothers, we need to be careful in our desire for a senior pastor. Are we looking to him more than we're looking to Christ? Do we think that a, a senior pastor, once we have that person, then we're going to grow and have direction and be more the people whom God calls us to be? If that's how you're thinking, then you're pushing Christ to the periphery and putting a man in his place. Christ grows the church. He, grows, he leads us. He gives us direction. See, culturally, we're being conditioned to praise those who, in the world's eyes, make a success of their lives. Right? Our culture values and looks to those who win by power, who accomplish, who overcome the odds... Whereas the gospel is so countercultural, the gospel calls us to rest in the power not of self but of Christ. Contrary to our cultural conditioning, we are to acknowledge constantly our utter emptiness and rest in Christ's fullness in every part of our lives. He has promised to fill us. You're crying out to God for growth in holiness, for wisdom in your situations, to love more. He has promised to answer. We must come to Jesus in fullness of faith, being assured of the hope we have. Our hope is that we will be growing in holiness, loving God, loving others, effective in our work. That's our hope. And Christ has promised to fill that. When we come to him in the fullness of faith, my sisters and brothers, don't allow our worldly culture to condition you into thinking you can move Christ to the margin of your life and at the same time effectively serve the Lord. If we do this, then as with the church at Sardis, we'll have a reputation. We might have a great reputation of being outstanding Christians, but it will be not matched by the reality. Now, while the situation at Sardis was, not di was dire, it wasn't hopeless. This is a wonderful thing about God's word. Jesus is not writing to condemn the church. And he's not writing to condemn us here. This is a word of liberation and life. That God is wanting to restore and renew. He has a storehouse of blessings. How does this church come back to life? In verse 2, the first step is a church must wake up. It's got to recognise there's a problem and then it's got to strengthen what remains. Uh, my first car was a HX Holden. 
Uh, I remember I did this big trip in New South Wales. I drove from Ballina, I was actually on a beach mission, coming back down to Laurenton, which is a small town. Uh, it took about six hours, which, like, on the, in New South Wales, that's fine. I know six hours here would do a lap of Tassie, I reckon. But, <laughs> but I was nearing the end of my journey and I got sleepy, right? Oh, and I can, still, I can still see this in my eyes today. I went to sleep. And I woke up just in time to see myself running off a road. By God's grace, I could just quickly get the steering and back in time. I had to wake up, otherwise I was gone. That's what God's saying to the church at Sardis. Wake up. You may not realise this, but, but you're about to crash spiritually. Come on, wake up. And then they need to hold fast to the gospel and repent. Jesus is calling the church to turn their hearts away from their neglect they're forgetting of Christ and the gospel. See, that's what's required. Turn our hearts away from our pride. Turn our hearts away from our desire to do our way. They and us need to be willing to have a Lord Jesus intersect every part of our lives. And they need to hold fast to the gospel. You do not need me to say this. But the gospel is the good news about Christ. It is such good news. By his atoning blood, the Lord Jesus has gone into the heavenly places. He is the ascended Lord. He's ministering in heaven on our behalf. He's mediating into all of our lives the promises of a new covenant. What a wonderful truth to hold fast to. The Lord Jesus is the ascended Lord and he lives in the power of an indestructible and everlasting life. He alone saves us to the utmost and he alone always lives to make intercession for us. This is the one to whom we turn our hearts to. He is so good and gracious and loving. That's the truth we need to hold fast to. The Lord Jesus Christ who holds the Spirit. Friends, we need to pray in the Spirit. That is, let the Spirit guide us. Preach in the Spirit. Worship in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And indeed, that's what God's calling to the church at Sardis. And once both they and us see afresh the glory and the wonder and the goodness and the power of a gospel, we're to guard it. Never let it go. Guard it with your life. I, this passage has been a timely reminder for me, and I think it's a timely reminder for us. I, I want to ask you this morning, it's the same question I ask myself, who or what is at the centre of your life? Who is at the centre of your relationships, your affections, your work, your ministry, your worship? I think if we're honest, not one of us here who at some point have needed to hear Christ's word to the church at Sardis. I know I have and I continue to need to hear it. 
Friends, the reality is each one of us has the daily need of centering our lives upon Jesus. The daily need of calling him to fill us with his spirit. To lead us to live the heavenly life today. Heaven's not just a place, it's a life. And God calls us to live the heavenly life now. And it's through Christ and the power of his shed blood that we live such a life. Let me share with you how I'm seeking to apply this truth to to one of the areas of my life. Some time ago, God gave me the realisation that he has graciously given me the blessing of being a husband and a father, a son, a brother, an uncle, a friend, a servant to the broken and suffering and a servant to the church. My desire is that Christ will be at the centre of all those relationships. That's my desire. That desire moves me to come to the Lord most days, and this is what I pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much that you have given me the privilege to be a husband, a father, a son, a brother, an uncle, a friend, a servant of those who are sick and suffering and a servant of your church. You are so gracious to me. Please, Lord Jesus, in your mercy and by the power of the Spirit, may I be a blessing to everyone to whom you've brought me into relationship with. May I love Elizabeth as Christ the church. May I nurture my children to love and fear you. May I honour my mum and dad. May I be a caring friend. May I be a loving brother and uncle. And Lord, a good and effective servant to the sick and the suffering and your people. Because Lord Jesus, apart from you, I cannot do this. I pray this because it's Christ who makes effective my imperfect efforts to love and serve. All my efforts are filled with imperfections. But in his hands is the Holy Spirit. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying I've made Christ the centre of my life. How I wish I could say that this morning to you. What I'm saying is I'm seeking Christ to be the centre of my life. I have a long way to go. But God is leading me. My desire is for Christ. The great encouragement of this passage is this. Our desire to centre our lives in Christ in everything one day will be fully realised. Because we're told in verse 4 that Jesus promises those who remember him will be dressed in white. They will never have their names removed from the book of life. Jesus himself will confess their name before the Father and the angels. What a glorious promise. What Christ is telling the the Christians at Sardis and us here this, this morning is that our desire to remember Christ, to uphold Christ, to live in Christ, to know and love Christ and to centre him in everything we do, that desire, even though while we're on earth we fall short, one day... That will be brought into fulfilment in the most glorious and wonderful ways ever. We will be dressed in white. No more stain. 
Christ will acknowledge our name. We will dwell in his presence. All that we long for, one day, Christ will fulfil, which means our striving is not in vain. One day, it will be fulfilled. And between now and then, the Lord Jesus promises to deepen and to fulfil our desires ever more fully. There is no doubt the Lord will lead, deepen and grow our faith now, but one day in eternity, the joy and blessing that we long for, full victory, full purity, living fully in his presence. Let's hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me pray. Oh, gracious Lord Jesus, we confess today that you are the risen and exalted Lord. We thank you that every promise you have made is certain. And thank you for your great promise of washing away our iniquities, filling us with the Holy Spirit, leading us on that way of wisdom and that path of righteousness as we yield our lives over to you. We thank you that we come to you today with such assurance. Father, we pray in your great mercy and eternal goodness, help us each day to confess our utter emptiness and by the Holy Spirit lead us to rest in Christ's fullness. May there not be one part of our lives where the Lord Jesus does not intersect. And please, in your mercy, produce in us that good, abundant and eternal fruitfulness that pleases and brings glory to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.